0: I think it's better to read some of it and like kind of mess like
1: mess around yeah. with the mm. order. Hopscotch it a little. A
0: little bit of hopscotch,
2: a little <laughs> <cordazar>. <laughs> Oh
3: my god. So many so many so many damn books.
0: Hello. Hi there. And welcome to So Many Damn Books. I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And this is Drew and Stephanie Dandler has joined us. Hello, in, hello. In Hi. the the damn library today. Welcome Stephanie.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Of Thanks for coming. Sweet bitter. Yes. Fellow graduate of the MFA New School program. Mm-hmm. Um, Alum. Yes. And do you have anything else to add to that bio? I should have. No, that your, was great. Your bio is just like lives in lives in Brooklyn, which isn't even true.
1: Well, (laughs) when I submitted that uh, to go to print, it was true. Okay. Um, But yeah, more mystery, right? More to talk about today. I didn't give it all away in the bio. Yeah,
3: there you go. I like that, though, where it's just like, I'm a writer. I live somewhere. (laughs)
1: I also haven't done anything, so I I don't know what I'm supposed to talk to. Does it say I have an MFA in there?
0: No, it's literally just, (laughs) Danler is a writer who lives in Brooklyn.
1: I do have an MFA. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I want to contribute to that.
0: Why don't we talk about what you buy? Yeah? Do you want to do the cocktail first? Oh yeah, we can do that instead. This yeah, this this cocktail is inspired by your novel Sweet Bitter, which um, there's this part in it where she thinks that someone is making treats like a drink, but it actually refers to Adderall. So I'm making just the just the drink, just the drink part. There's that's, no Adderall involved. I'm that's sorry. what he
1: wants you to believe. Everyone that's <laughs> listening to this.
0: <laughs> um, and it's uh, it's basically there was I was convinced by um, my wine purveyor down the street that he had something that was sancerre like. Um, so that's this white wine that I have. And then there was also something that he had that was in between April and Campari that I put in there with some orange juice and soda and an orange peel. And you should have it this summer because it's really easy sipping. Yeah.
3: It's delicious. You
0: should also have this summer if you're
3: more ambitious. Yes. Like I can't get over these things. I know.
0: Um, I made Negroni jelly slices. Um, <laughs> so it's basically just Knox gelatin... And and basically a, 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 Negroni. a Negroni, like a cup of Negroni, They're and then works a, of art. Though I put I poured them into um, orange hollowed out or, half oranges.
3: That's what really makes it, because then you slice them up like it's after soccer practice, but with booze instead of yeah, nesting booze. Yeah, good game, good game, good game.
0: <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. And uh, why? Okay, now. want to do you want to start yeah of course I'll start
1: um and I started it I'm allowed to have started it right
2: of course yeah
1: um I started on the plane um Margaret the First which is this book that came out from Catapult and it is a fictional like a historical novel set in the 1600s following this woman who is an artist and wife and it's totally modern and fantastic, but with all these period details, I'm only a few pages in. I'm wow. going to devour it what when made, I get to it. What
0: made you decide to pick it up?
1: Um, Julie Bunton, actually. No, that's not true. I know Julie who does catapult, but Michelle Filgate, um, we were talking about books and her taste. She has her Instagram as read and breathe and she's always reading tons and tons of books. And so I knew her taste. I knew that we were on the same kind of wavelength and I asked her what I should read and she told me to get it. And she was so right. It's just totally up my alley. Cool. That yeah. sounds great. Yeah.
0: I love the cover of that book. It's a Wild, gorgeous right? cover.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's going to be fun. Cool yeah. Too. Catapult's awesome. I'm really, I'm really impressed. Very exciting. Yeah
3: uh i picked up two things one on my own recommendation joe hill's the fireman oh yeah Uh, you're a joe hill i am i love joe's work um and the other actually alex cheese recommendation last week jan morris's hav uh i realized after i got home from recording the show that that had been on my sort of long list for like two years according to goodreads Um, (laughs) so i like i just went out and i bought it i'm very excited to read it yeah it sounds good yeah
1: I don't know anything about either of those books.
3: Um, the Fireman is a sort of apocalypse novel. Um, a disease has sprung up where, like you, you sort of get dragony-looking scales, and then you burst into flame. Cool. Uh, <laughs> that is cool. <laughs> yeah, and it's about uh, that's the way I want to go. A woman who is starting to show signs of the disease, pregnant, and she runs into this like sort of semi-mythic hero called the Fireman who saves people. Um, and then mm-hmm. Hav is a fake, a fake travel document, basically about mm-hmm. this fictional country called Hav. Um, and Jan Morris is apparently she's actually a travel writer, but so she wrote this novel and like managed to convince people that it's a real place.
1: Oh, I love that. That's yeah, yeah that, I, I can't love wait. that too. That'd be perfect yeah. for me.
0: Um, yeah. How about you, Christopher? I, I okay, so. Um, I try not to be suckered in by, you know, a uh, good copy in my life. But for some <laughs> reason that like it gets like completely blanked out by, by book copy. And on the back of Lily and the Octopus by Stephen Rowley, they literally say the magic of this novel is in the read. So we don't want to spoil it by giving too many details. So I'm <laughs> like, OK, I'm on board. <laughs> and then uh, it says, remember the last book you told someone they had to read? lillian the octopus is the next one and such a good line yeah it's really good so it comes out in june and i saw the copy so i had to pick it up
1: that's great great copy (laughs) that's
0: really good right
3: Speaking of the next book that we're recommending to yeah.
0: everyone and anyone. Yeah. Uh, Sweet Sweepener. Yes. Your incredible novel. Um, we usually have the author say what the book's about. Do you oh. want to do, do the honors? Or I we can. I,
1: yeah. No, I totally have no idea what the book is about. Hold on. <laughs> um, it is about, um, what do we call it? A Young woman's coming of age story. Tess moves to New York and becomes a server in a... Landmark restaurant that's kind of modeled on Union Square Cafe. May now, rest in peace. Yes. Now closed and moving. Um, and the arc of the novel is really kind of her sentimental education or loss of innocence. Mm. But it's all set around food and wine and the development of her palate for those things and other experiences.
0: Mm. Ooh, and other
3: experiences. And
1: other experiences. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Um, the novel is set like in two thousand six, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I think you you mentioned it's like right pre iPhone. Yeah, totally. Uh, and and so I feel like we're definitely. I'm I'm personally nostalgic for that sort of period pre iPhone of of I don't know. We pretend like we connected more before that. <laughs> um, but I'm curious if there's something about like where we're living now in New York. If there's something you'd be nostalgic for. Um, of now. Like of you now? Yeah, like, That's such a
1: great question because yeah, I I get what you're saying. So much of the impetus to write about two thousand six, besides the iPhone, is I think that we're all like very nostalgic for the city that we moved to Uh like that city kind of freezes in your brain and then everything that changes is a loss and the city changes so quickly so it's loss 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 this bar is closing this is moving i have to move apartments your landscape is constantly shifting but that first place you move into remains like new york city um and then you just bitch about everything for the rest of time. That's <laughs> yep. like the definition of being a New Yorker. So, you know, there's condos and Williamsburg is destroyed and no one can afford to live here and all the restaurants are so expensive. Um, but I think when I look back on this period, which is a period that I've taken a break from New York. Um,
0: I, I do believe that when you move away from a place, you can, out, you can often see it more clearly then totally then so i feel like now that you're in california now
1: yeah and it's i'm gonna get to your actual question but (laughs) i do i do feel like new york is for the very young and i'm not ancient i'm 32 but i when i left and every time i come back i do feel like it's for that I was talking about drunk little children earlier, but it's more like drunk on your autonomy. And I feel like you Mm -hmm. have to have that resiliency and that buoyancy to live here Um, because it does wear you down. But I think that at the same time, New York is on fire as far as there's money here. There's so much money and there's new museums opening. And there's been periods of time, new restaurants, new museums. There's a lot of new... Mm-hmm. and that's something to mourn, of course, but there's also an influx of energy, and I don't think that can be totally disregarded.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I guess there's there's two things sort of at, at odds with each other here. There's sort of like the, there's the anonymity almost of Tess, where, I mean, we don't even know she, her name is Tess until two-thirds of the way into right. the... We've, we've got a lot of awesome nicknames, but not, not her name. Um, but at the same time, there's also like the fact that you're very open in saying that this is an autobiographical novel, where other people sort of sometimes like try to keep that close to the vest.
1: I started with a lot of autobiographical details, um, and I think that that was twofold. And one is it's just easier to give her my (laughs) apartment, my neighborhood, my job. The second part is I felt like I had gone through a very special experience moving to New York and getting a job at Union Square Cafe as my first job. And I'd worked at other restaurants at Mm -hmm. the point that I was writing the novel, but none stood out in my mind for being based on a set of ethics, for being based on this idea of like an excellence reflex something that Danny Meyer talks a lot about Um, none of them could ever be elevated to that level as um, as like a place of employment and so it had to be there Mm -hmm. even though I fictionalized so much of the book and the plots made up and I love the liberty that comes with fiction that's why I didn't write a memoir were you in my class when they like yelled? no Dale Peck was like why don't you write a memoir I really (laughs) had to really had to defend myself Um, but I didn't, I didn't want to, I wanted, I wanted it to be fiction. I wanted her to be able to do things that I hadn't been able to do in my life. Mm. Um, but I definitely think that you start with those facts about yourself and then the character takes off from there.
2: Mm.
0: Um, and, and I think that, I think that the moment that I feel like Tess like pulls into herself as Tess is kind of the moment where she starts to talk about Britney Spears. My loneliness
2: is killing me. Oh, you like yeah, that? Yeah. Good. Um,
0: I, I'm a, I, I think there's like five or six episodes of this show with Britney Spears songs in it somewhere. Yes. Um, <laughs> As well there should be. Um, but, you know, that moment is such a great thing where she starts to defend Britney. And um, I guess, like, do you have a relationship to pop music now? Or, like, was that...
1: Yeah, absolutely. That... Um, that moment is really special because for so long, Tess doesn't have a voice. And we were talking about her anonymity for the first half of the book. And I think that that's really important for so many reasons. We want to experience the world with her for the first time. She's a perfect kind of canvas or filter. Right. You say,
0: um, um your or, in the in the in the book it says like she's born as she crosses like and there's at d- that definite uh, the Manhattan Bridge like she def it feels like that like we we don't feel her past very much at all really no
1: it's not really necessary I mean when people get to New York you kind of drop your baggage uh-huh. if you're making the choice to come here and reinvent yourself or become yourself but Tess while she was blank is undergoing also this initiation ritual, really, where they're going to take your name, and they take your clothes, and you learn a new language, and you come out of it a different person. And so many times when I was writing this book, because I wrote the whole thing in graduate school, and I had to defend every single little minor decision I made, (laughs) which is good and bad. um, What was the journey going to be? What's the transformation? And the transformation is small, but she learns how to talk back. That Mm -hmm. was where that with that Britney Spears, she is exposing something about herself and she's learning how to talk back to these people. Then she's been quiet for so long. She's been apologizing for so long. She's been trying to make herself very small in the restaurant for so long. And I love that scene. Mm -hmm. It's also, of course, like what Britney Spears has become emblematic of what the world does to young women the way the media can cannibalize the people that it raises up and i think that tess feels this kind of sympathy with her but doesn't quite understand why yet
3: sort of pivoting a little bit the way that you write both food and sex like it's it's a cliche in the world that like food writing and sex writing are often food and sex in general are like, we talk about them in sort of weirdly the same ways.
1: Mm
2: -hmm.
3: Well, yeah. Um, I was wondering both what your inspirations were for how you write about food and how you write about sex, but also like, were there any moments where you were like, ah, I don't, I feel weird about writing this or like, I don't feel like I have the knowledge to write this thing about oysters or I feel like I don't have the like,
0: did you have to go on like tasting research? (laughs)
1: Uh, no, I wish, I wish that I, I could have, I was in, so I was a food professional for how long is, how many years, 22 to 29 math, not my strong seven, seven issues, Christopher (laughs) seven years. Um, and I was managing and I was helping to open restaurants and it was my entire life and career. But at this point, at that point, using food as a way to like interact with the world and see the world was my life. That was totally intrinsic and it kind of, it covered everything that I did. So writing about that was really natural. Now the oyster scene is interesting because I love this writer, MFK Fisher, Mm -hmm. um, who's a food writer like mid 20th century. And she has this book called consider the oyster Ah. and good title. So good. She's fantastic. The Gastronomical Me is a collection of her essays that was very influential to me while I was working on Sweet Bitter because I kept coming back to what is the gastronomical me? What is my life told through meals? Um, Which isn't exactly Tess's story, but when I needed to come back to the food, that's what I was thinking about. The thing about MFK Fisher is that the food writing is never um, auxiliary. It's never like... Detail. It's never filler. It's never a character tick. It's always essential to the transformation that mm. is happening. Mm. And so with Sweet Bitter, there are pages and pages. And Christopher, I'm sure, saw many of them of food writing scenes where I was like, Yeah, I'm on fire. These adjectives are just <laughs> flowing. <laughs> and they weren't essential. Mm. And so what I kind of um, honed it down to was, you know, a, a major food scene and it had to take her somewhere Mm -hmm. it had to give her an epiphany um now the same is true about the the more erotic sexually charged scenes although I will say that I wanted like I did want this to be a sexual book as far as it's a huge part of her becoming. Mm -hmm. It's a huge part of her figuring out how to become a woman. And when I said that she starts talking back about Britney Spears, she also starts learning how to accept that she's a sexual being and not apologize for that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Baby steps, obviously. She's 22, she's 23 when the book ends. She's not, she hasn't fixed herself, but she is gaining some Mm -hmm. self-awareness. But when writing about sex, it had to be, essential to her story and you come up to this point I think every writer that has ever written a sex scene where you have to make big decisions because those scenes attract so much attention so you've got the fade to black you've got the (laughs) the hinting then you've got the what are the words I'm actually going to put on the page to refer to this body part and this body part and so there were I went back and forth about that what kind of language I was going to use and how far I was going to go with it because I do think that there's so much space for like literary erotic writing. There's that has not been fully explored yet. Mm-hmm. Um but it had to be true to Tess and I feel I didn't feel like she was at a point in her life like how I'm not gonna dirty talk on your show. You but where she was we have say an explicit
2: writing like, yeah. cock
1: or cunt or anything like she wasn't there yet. Yeah. So yeah. while I might have been ready as a writer she wasn't. So mm. that and that was the same with the food. It had to be true to her voice and the story.
0: I wanted to talk about MFK Fisher and I saw you've mentioned her when you were talking about I think it was in the Wall Street Journal you were talking that you uh, collect vintage cookbooks.
1: I sure do. I, I sure do.
0: And I was curious um you know if you have any Notable ones or something?
1: Yeah, I I do. Well, A Country Kitchen by Della Lutz is really hard Mm -hmm. to find, and Bonnie Slotnick found it for me for one of my birthdays. And then she also found me a signed Physiology of Taste by Briot Sovereign, but signed by MFK Fisher, who translated it. Yeah. Yeah, and it was like in it was mfk fisher glendale like 1981 or something i couldn't believe it but i had to give it as a gift to my best friend because i'm a great friend so um but when we did that wall street journal thing i stole it back from her i was like i'm so sorry this is like a real book i need this to be in the photo (laughs) you can have it back when i'm done um patience gray if you guys ever see the book honey from a weed it's a really special book it's um she's a writer and she's living with a sculptor in various places in the mediterranean and it's almost like an anthropological investigation of like ancient cooking methods along the mediterranean and it's so beautiful
0: Mm, that sounds great
1: yeah yeah
3: it's really wonderful to talk to authors, not only about their book, but then about a book that they brought to us. You brought today Maggie Nelson's bluets, bluets
0: blaze. Who, yeah. who knows? She says, she, she says
3: several moments. Um, but one thing that I really love is reading the two books in tandem. Cause it, to my mind, it illustrates connections that you might've missed otherwise, but that sort of like elevate both books in a mm-hmm. cool way. Um, I wrote, I was writing on a fucking bookmark for some reason. I don't, I do not write in books, but usually I write in like a notebook, but for whatever reason.
1: Why don't you write in books? Oh,
3: cause I don't, I don't know. I just like having scary them. Scary. Th- so
0: it is scary. Nice.
1: I love it. Cause
3: then also <laughs> like you can go back and you can be.
0: Yeah. You can just be blank. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think there is something to that. I, I know that I've some people like to have that, that thought of like oh where was I what did I think about when right. I saw this the first time people do like that feeling but it's also nice to just like okay that me doesn't exist anymore it's this me reading but there it.
3: were two moments as I was reading uh bluets that made me think about sweet bitter and I was like oh this is going to be so fun to yeah. like connect these two things one of them is um uh proposition 116 on on page 46 for those following along in their hymnals um <laughs> Where uh, her former lover is like, I'm in love with both of you talking about the two women who he's been involved with in completely different ways. It seemed unwise to contemplate this statement any further. And I thought of Jake at that moment. But the moment where I was like, oh, hey, check this out is number 211, which is on page Mm -hmm. 86. Look for yourself and ask not what has been real and what has been false, but what has been bitter and what has been sweet.
2: Mm -hmm. At which
3: moment, I also was like, sweet, bitter, bittersweet. (laughs) Oh. Uh, Yeah. It took me... Which I'm embarrassed to admit. Yeah. It took
0: me a little bit to realize how nice that is, the bittersweet, sweet, bitter. I'm
1: glad because so many people write to congratulate me on my book, Bittersweet. And I'm like, oh, it's close enough. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... Since you're talking about that, it's funny because sweet bitter comes from Anne Carson's translation of Sappho. Ooh. And Sappho was the first person to call love bittersweet. I mean, I, we don't know, but she is a s- presumed to be the first person. And Anne Carson's the first one that said, actually, the Greek order is sweet and then bitter. Mm-hmm. And that's also the order uh. of love. And so, you know, Ann Carson is a fucking genius and we're (laughs) all indebted to her all the time. Um, But then, of course, I can't remember when exactly in my process I was reading that book. But now every time I see something like that, the sweet and the bitter, um, I'm very drawn to it and I mark it down. Um, This book felt kindred to me for so many reasons. But speaking about Jake, Uh I was just reading this part (laughs) is to be in love with blue then to be in love with a disturbance or is love itself the disturbance and what kind of madness is it anyway to be in love with something constitutionally incapable of loving you back (laughs) and so i was just rereading it this morning getting ready to come on the show and i was like (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: misery
0: (laughs) um Um, well let's uh let's backtrack just for a little bit and say what Bluettes is, for those oh. at home who don't know. Of course. Um, Maggie Nelson's Bluettes uh, is, well, it's a meditation on the color blue, if you believe her. Um, came out, <laughs> if it came out in 2009. And, uh, and tell us a, a little bit why you decided this was the one you wanted to talk about.
1: Well, just actually listening to you try to say what it is is part of the reason that it's such an important book to me because it really resists categorization. Totally. <clears throat> I think I picked it up originally thinking that it was poetry. And then it, it was it like... It looks like
0: poetry it too. Does, yeah. And I would actually say that, I mean, a case can be made that her, the the, the numbered passages are all little poems that can, that can all be taken out and just be held up. Yeah.
1: That, yeah, they're very imagistic. They're very tight. They're very self-contained, each mm-hmm. little number that she goes through. But then it's been called an essay since then. Um, I saw somebody
3: call it lyric essays.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: essay
0: oh. slash literature, if you want to believe the publisher.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Don't ever believe the publisher. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I am really interested in books that are trying to explore the spaces between the genres. I really love rachel Cusk. i love ben lerner i love renata mm. adler i love elizabeth hardwick i'm always and that's what we would call like everyone's calling it auto fiction now i guess canals guard we mm-hmm. will safely put him in that category as yeah, well um definitely. and so when i read this i think this is a novel. This isn't an essay. This isn't a book of poems. This is a story. Mm-hmm. Um, but the form is so different and allows so much interpretation. And the other reason I picked it is because Christopher wrote an essay many years ago that I read, and I believe the form was modeled after
2: Yeah, I, I
0: even explicitly mentioned that I'm reading bluets in the midst of that essay, which we can link on the thing. Yes, I I would like to read that essay. Yeah, Um,
1: it was great. And so I knew that he knew Maggie and I was like, it's time. Maggie has come for
2: us.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's funny that you, you said open your hymnals as kind of a joke, but I do believe that this book is sort of religious and definitely religiously inspired, especially with the numbered passages. You could be like, you can really be like page 74, you know, yeah. almost like a book of Matthew. And then the,
3: Especially, it speaks the, to me as a very non-religious person, as the sort of thing that like happily takes the place of religion. Of mm-hmm. like, Oh yes. In times of trouble, I can go to bluets and like find a lovely passage.
1: So I, no, go ahead.
0: I just don't see how you can read this book as a writer and not want to at least try to play with this form. Absolutely. Um, I feel like everybody probably has their, you know, Jenny Awful, I'm sure. (laughs) Totally. Oh, my God. Please, (laughs) let's
1: put her in that category. I loved that uh, Department of Speculation. I loved that book so much.
0: Um, And one thing that the form is really good at is, like, it also kind of makes her set up, almost like set up and joke with, like, what's coming up um, next. I think there's, like, on page 62, there's this Why is the Sky Blue, Um, 156, where she's like, why is the sky blue? A fair enough question. And one, I have learned the answer too many times. Yet every time I try to explain it to someone or remember it to myself, it eludes me. And there's a little more there. But then the next thing is on 157, the part I do remember, <laughs> which I think is really funny, just like like you immediately just start, I don't know. I, I think that like, the levity here is so welcome.
1: Do you know, I was thinking something similar. I didn't think of it as levity, but I was thinking about this suppose that the entire book begins on. Yes. Suppose... What is it? Suppose I were to begin by saying that I had fallen in love with a color and how she gets so much leeway there as if it's not quite written yet, as if this is a first draft, as if you're her friend that she's confiding in and she'll get to backtrack and all she's doing is trying to rewrite a true statement in a way. Mm -hmm. She's trying to get to the truth of the color blue, presumably every single numbered passage is an attempt at that um but it's very playful Mm -hmm. suppose Mm -hmm. yeah
0: um i think that there's that that confessional is so great here and when she won me over like i just believe her emotion and like and none of this feels like artifice anymore because it could feel because it like all we're talking about there's so many like i don't know pretentious things that she's doing absolutely but But then uh, right at the very beginning on page six, uh, number 14, she starts saying, I have enjoyed telling people that I am writing a book about blue without actually doing it.
1: Delicious. Yeah. So fun. (laughs)
0: Yeah. That's as I, uh, I know how fun it is to talk about something that you haven't written yet, because there's all sorts of things that you can say, even if they aren't real.
1: Is that the same passage? There's a passage where she's applying for grants and she's applying. I need to find it. It's so funny. She's applying with this, like, necessary work about the color blue um, (laughs) that she just has to write. And you know that she's not writing it. I'll find it eventually. It was so good.
0: Um, But I would one thing I would say about bluets and um And especially Maggie Nelson's writing in general is she's intellect she can do this intellectually filthy thing Mm -hmm. where she like well the way that she talks about sex in this book and in other places, first of all, she always refers to it as fucking
1: delicious. The Um, best. I think that's the first
3: time you've
0: cursed on the show. It is. I'm so thrilled.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Maggie.
0: (laughs) Sorry, Christopher's mom. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. She she can deal. (laughs) But it's just and the way that she does it, though, the way that she talks about sex, it's like it's something that she like seems to regret or there's like there's so much regret in the way that she talks about it, I feel.
1: Well, especially in Bluettes and I think a little bit less so in the Argonauts, Mm -hmm. um, the sex is so painful emotionally for her to recall that it feels like a punishment Mm -hmm. that she's kind of like hurting herself by retelling it over and over again. But that's something I'm really drawn to as well. Um, She, it's aggressive and it comes out of nowhere. And I think that that is the moment that I started to trust her because she is so intellectual and a lot of this is so abstract. And there are a lot of writers that are really great curators of a million sources. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's Heidi
0: Julevitz is great at that too. Yeah, absolutely. But, and,
1: and Heidi does this so well also without being as graphic, but it's to get to that bleeding heart center of it. You have to have some sincerity coming through. Otherwise the book's not going to con- connect ever.
3: Um, Christopher and I had to read something uh, for the tournament of books earlier this year called "Ban and Ben Liu mm-hmm. by Banu Kapil, which is like another it's classified as poetry, but like she calls it an anti novel and it, I don't know that it was as successful at this thing, but it's sort of, it talks around the shape of an object and as such reveals the shape. Mm -hmm. And I felt like Maggie is doing a similar thing here where she's, she's like, I'm talking about blue. I'm talking about blue. And in so doing revealing herself more than she would have. I think if she had written sort of the story of like the dissolution of this relationship that she was in.
0: Right. And I, 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 I feel silly admitting this, but the first time that I went through this book, I, I knew that it was somewhat about a relationship, and, but I, I believed her faint towards Blue far more the first time that I read it.
2: I didn't huh. buy it. And That's...
0: this time, I'm like, Christopher, old Christopher, you're dumb. Like, this, <laughs> <laughs> this is so someone trying to distract themselves from their broken heart.
1: It has this, like, through line of this kind of heartbreak love song that is, in the best way, Sincere, I already mentioned, but sentimental as well. And like, I need that with writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, obviously, bad sentimental writing is bad sentimental writing, but smart writing that still gets gets your blood flowing is my favorite.
3: Um, like, loneliness is
0: solitude with a problem.
1: I love that I one. Like, yeah. oh, oh, yes. Solitude.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, it. that's that's actually a great you know, point towards your book as well, of her loneliness and her solitude. She's often alone um, when she's away from the restaurant, especially. Um, And that is the... I think that those are the times that she's like... I don't know. She's often getting stronger in those moments like you 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 keep wanting her to be like get away from the restaurant for just another day please (laughs) and maybe that (laughs) is true of
1: myself as well i feel like the time that i've spent alone in my life has enriched me or given me enough strength to go back into the fire so to speak Mm -hmm. but the loneliness just implies this absence it where solitude is self-contained right yeah. you are not searching you are not longing and you were talking about writing or the shape of an outline i mean this book even before she starts to explicitly talk about the failed love affair it's haunted by an absence mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: i mean even though i mean the love affair Rears its head very early on and then disappears. Yeah, I I love that. Yeah.
1: I do too. Um, And I love the the story about her friend, which seems to be like the real intellectual trauma that she mm -hmm. is grappling with the entire time is how did this happen to this woman?
0: That, and she's also trying, I think there's a bit where she's like feeling such intense heartbreak. And then there's this person who has become a quadriplegic. And she's just like, Okay, so my pain.
1: Yeah, she <laughs>
0: doesn't rate, but like at the same time, you know, it does. It does, right? Because I'm feeling it.
1: There, the, her awareness of her kind of narcissism or the, mm-hmm. the navel gazing that we associate with confessional writing, um, her honesty about it saves her from falling into the cliches of it. And I love at the end where she says, "I'm gonna butcher it if I don't read it." I love that I want you to know if you ever read this, there was a time when I would would have rather had you by my side than any of these words. I would rather have had you by my side than all the blue in the world. And that is when she exposes the fact that this blue was just a conceit
2: Mm -hmm. to get
1: at this heartbreak. And I love that moment. It gives, I just reading it, I get the chills. I want to cry. Um, she's stripped away all the artifice that she's been weaving for so long. And isn't it that what all of us do? I'm fine. I'm going to yoga. I'm taking classes. I'm really good with my girlfriends, but like, actually I just want you.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Very real. Sorry. No, no. I'm sweating. (laughs) 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 I kind of feel like. Breakups are hard.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They are. They are.
1: But she's so good. Yeah. Maggie Nelson. mm, Yes. Read Bluettes.
0: What a presence.
3: Shall we Shall we recommend
0: some other things? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about
1: other oh, yeah. stuff we like.
0: Let's talk about
3: <laughs> my the things we God. Like. What
1: do you guys like?
0: Um, we're going to start with Drew. I want to end on you, Stephanie. Okay, I great. Like I just want to give you the blankest slate.
1: Fantastic. Thank you.
0: Um, I'm going to recommend one thing that's a
3: book and one thing that's not. Cool. Uh, the book is the latest in my devouring of all of the currently translated novels of Cesar Ira, mm. uh, Shantytown, which is so far been the most straightforward narratively. It feels much more like a crime novel. It's set in Buenos Aires um, on the edge of a shantytown and like a crooked cop is trying to shut down a drug ring while this like kind of well-meaning, simple, very strong young man has sort of like accidentally broken the whole thing open. Mm. And it has all of the like intellectual weirdness that I have come to really enjoy of his book so far but with also like pretty straightforward plot mm-hmm. which you need sometimes it's fun um, as
1: a reader and a writer yeah
3: mm-hmm. and then the non the non book thing um it's two plays actually cuz you've missed the first one uh Richard Nelson who's a playwright who's working at the public theater is doing a series this year called the Gabriels a year um a ye- uh election year in the life of one family is the subtitle which is like a really awkward uncomfortable subtitle but the <laughs> upcoming two plays one that'll be going in august september and one uh, that will lead up to and open on election night oh. what did you expect Jesus. yeah and women of a certain age oh that's the cool thing too they open they're set when they open so like in real time on election night 8 to 10 p.m wow um but he's he's been really interested in food and so over the course of the play uh a family prepares and eats a whole meal. Mm. Um, it's the most delicious smelling play. The first <laughs> one that I saw, I was they like roasted a chicken and baked a pie. Ooh, over the course of the play, and I was like, "This is, this is amazing. I could just sit in this room for a couple of hours." People right. are going
1: to be starving. Yeah. They're going to want their. They're going to leave. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's funny, uh, Christopher. Um, I am going to recommend a book called uh, Luckiest Girl Alive by Jessica Knoll. Um, she wrote this incredibly powerful essay uh, for Lenny Letter um, about, so one of the linchpins of this novel is the, the main character, girl, was gang raped in high school. And uh, she wrote an essay about how that is true to her life. Um, wow. And then you read the book and it's an incredibly powerful book. That actually has a completely different twist that has nothing to do with, you know, horrible high sh- high school experience, and it has much more to do with something just absolutely horrifying. Um, so I would recommend this book. It's it's not anything like Gone Girl, so I don't know why. It's I just that's you know. I know. It's I know. Girl that, in
3: the title. It's I, a thriller.
0: Yeah, I feel like you know it's. It's just like how everything was like Harry Potter for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, now everything is like Gone Girl. And that's fine.
1: In my world, everything is like Kitchen Confidential. It just oh, gets yeah. very, <laughs> it gets very small. Yeah, it <laughs> does.
0: <laughs> Stephanie, do you want to recommend some things?
1: This is so fun. <laughs> <laughs> I have three things. They're all different. Um Good. So ladies and gentlemen, it is spring and I'm going to recommend that you drink in addition to Christopher's cocktail, um, Rosé, which I, uh, drink year round, but everyone else seems to want to wait until Memorial Day and make it a seasonal summer thing. So that's fine. It is Memorial Day. Um, and I'm really partial to Rosé's from Bandol, which is like a teeny tiny Appalachian in Southern France, really close to the ocean. And they Everything is like a small quantity. We don't see that many bottles of it. But if you see it, they're incredibly rich, versatile food wines. They go with everything. They're not like roof deck rosés. You can just buy the cheapest one. I do that all the time. <laughs> but um, for a meal, a rosé from Bandol. And then um, I'm going to recommend for a book, I'm loving the collection Rome by Dorothy Lasky. Um, Who put it out? I can't remember who put it out, like Scribner or someone, but it's an incredible collection, speaking of like heartbreak poems, um, all set in Rome and kind of using um, the mythology of the she-wolf, but they are so vulnerable and so lacerating and very angry, but the emotion never takes over. Formally, they're perfect. Um, The collection Rome, which And then I went to Three Lives Bookstore in the city and they were like, yeah, it's been flying off the shelves. So I felt validated. Sometimes I'm just like in a hole and I don't know what if it's (laughs) actually good. What I like. Um, The people at Three Lives said it was good. Um, And lastly, I just got back from Mexico City and everyone should go to Mexico City as soon as possible and just eat. And it's safe ish, safe enough. For you people, um, <laughs> and incredible mid-century architecture, and it is just throbbing. It is alive. Um, I'm going back as soon as possible.
0: Cool. Wow. All right. Those are some good recommendations. If there's summer planned. Yeah. I tried. Yeah. Apparently, I'm gonna drink rosé in Mexico City.
1: No, d- d- <laughs> don't <laughs> do no, that. No, no. Drink just drink the mezcal.
0: <laughs> mm. Um. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, oh, thank this you. was so lovely. And thank you for the book.
3: Yeah, it's thank amazing.
2: You. Yeah. Oh yeah, that, people yeah. need to go go thank pick you. that up. Yeah, it's
1: time. Thank you guys so much.